Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. It is episode 124 or 25. I'm not really sure right now, but super, super excited to have Ray Hewitt on the podcast. Ray, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm doing awesome and so excited to get to talk to you, Kyle. This was something on my calendar I was really excited to do mm -hmm. this week. Yeah, and, and you all, you know, well, I've followed you for a while because you do cool stuff on Instagram. And then I, re I didn't, I don't know when I realized maybe like a week or two ago that you had a podcast and I was like, oh man, we got to collaborate with other teacher podcast people. So it's really fun. And we're collaborating with you like month, we were talking months from now because you've got so many people booked, which is a good, is a good problem to have. I guess so, but we're really excited to actually get to know you guys more. So yeah. I feel like we need to start recording as soon as possible with you guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's so fun to... Normal Illinois might be the greatest town name in America. <laughs> it's so... You know, we're not so normal here in normal, I have to say. So that's like, is that Southern Illinois or like Middle Illinois? So if you live in Chicago, you think that Bloomington Normal is as far south as Illinois goes. But if you actually look at a map, we are dead center in the state. We're about, you know, two hours from Chicago, two hours from St. Louis. I grew up in the in the suburbs of Chicago, so coming to Bloomington Normal, I felt like small, small town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. I grew up small town, and then I lived in Houston eight years, and now I'm back in small town, so it's been fun. But yeah, yeah so to get us kicked off, could you kind of just give our listeners the background of how and why you became a teacher? Oh, gosh, how I became a teacher and why? That's a tricky question. I um. I said I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago, loved it. I had every support avenue possible, and I hated school. I was about the worst student out there. <laughs> I think I can successfully say that I am currently a sixth grade math teacher, and I got a D in sixth grade math when I was a student. Um, and then I had an opportunity in high school um, to teach a dance class. I was really into dance. I was working with the studio for a while. It was probably the only avenue I had where I was being successful. And so they said, oh, hey, do you want to teach? And I was like, sure, throw me in. I can, I can pretend to know what I'm doing. And it ended up being something I loved. And so when I was looking at what I wanted to be when I grew up in high school and trying to look at colleges that I really was more concerned I wasn't going to get into, um, I decided why not teaching and then I had to pick an age group so I decided to go with middle school it was a mm -hmm. it was the age group I was teaching at the time for the dance classes and I loved them so I went to Illinois State for a middle level degree and I've been in middle school ever since loving life and I actually have a math teacher yeah. now so <laughs> me yeah. old math teacher yeah I was talking to my my co-host Wilkie about this because he's a sixth grade math teacher too and he just like his schedule just couldn't quite we, that's kind of why we were trying to bump it back to try to get you and him. But we'll, it's a good excuse to bring you back on. So that way you guys can talk about sixth grade math in Illinois versus sixth grade math in Texas. So looking back awesome. at your experience, do you have a favorite teacher? And if you do, what? why was that person so special? Gosh, I have a lot of teachers that I really got to know that I really enjoyed. Um, the first one that always comes to mind is seventh grade ELA, Miss Hinchy, who I'm pretty sure got married and it's not even her name anymore, but she was somebody I really built a strong relationship with. And that for me was all I needed. I had kind of gotten in the mindset that I was never actually going to learn successfully. I was never going to get that A. Like I said, school is really hard. 
Miss Hinchy was somebody that I immediately bonded with. I loved just her focus of relationships. And I can say that for a lot of other teachers that I then really got to know throughout my years in education, just those relationship pieces was how I was able to thrive. And those are the teachers that I have to say were my favorite. Do you, do you find yourself kind of emulating those favorite teachers? Cause I know that like I, I did, like, I can't, I don't know how many times I stole like what I would have called my teacher's catchphrases and found myself using them. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Like, you know, I have to say a lot of what I try and emulate is just the feeling I was able to feel through that relationship. And how can I then build that with my students? I obviously am teaching a different subject, different grade. I'm in a completely different community, but, um, our students need to feel that, that, that relationship component. And so really trying to duplicate that is something I really hold near and dear to my heart when I'm dealing with our goofy, sarcastic, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> sixth graders that we teach. So it's yeah. a fun job. You know, it's so funny to me because I can think back, like I grew up super small town, like mm-hmm. know everybody, everybody knows everybody. Like my dad will drive his truck in town, like stop at a store, leave it running with the keys in it. Man. And then like go in and get what he needs and come back out. Like that's that kind of small town. So like I knew all my teachers and like I had relationships with them because it just seemed very natural. And then I, I went to Houston and I was like, man, these kids like are totally different from me. I've never been around kids like this. So that relationship piece was hard for me to start because I was just like, we were crossing signals all over the place. So but do, when you were in college, did they ever like really emphasize the importance of relationships as a teacher? Because I only really got content. That was all I ever really got in college uh, in terms of what I was taught. Yeah, you know, I think two, two ways to answer your question. First of all, I think the relationship element was something I knew I wanted to focus on in education, like your question before, simply because I really got to experience that. That was a big piece of my my upbringing and why I chose to be a teacher. But then I also had these drivers of things I hated about school, things I hated about education that I knew I wanted to bring into my classroom. So that was my second driver and kind of getting into education was not only build those, you know, relationships that I knew helped somebody be successful, but what are, what are the other elements that I could bring in? When I went to Illinois State, I won't lie to you. I loved my time at Illinois State. There was a lot of content classes, more than I guess I would prefer to take. (laughs) But I was in the middle school program. So anytime I was able to actually take authentic middle school classes, relationships were echoed all over the place. So I think it really depends on like the type of class because by the time you're a sophomore, junior, senior, and you're in the majority of middle school classes, I mean, they really pounded us with that middle school philosophy. And I was lucky because that middle school philosophy does thrive on building relationships with students. So I think they were progressive in that way, at least. Yeah. You know, and I think part of it for me with my experience was I got a broad field social studies degree. So it was like social studies, like, comma or slash education so I was taking history government econ geography I had to take them all so maybe that's why I felt like I was overloaded with with class I think the one thing I really wish I would have gotten more experience with in my college time was in in class experience because I don't feel like I spent a lot of time in classrooms up until like I student taught 
which well, is well, and that's really that's a concern. I sit on a board for Illinois to talk about middle school education with districts across the state, and one of our biggest concerns for our universities is getting our students in the building, getting them exposure to students um, or to like actual students in the classroom, right? The students you hope to work with. Yeah. Um, so I really think that's a concern. That was my biggest, not to go back to college, because obviously it's long past then, but that was a big reason I ended up going to Illinois State was because they had a year long student teaching program called the PDS program. So that at least gave me a year in the classroom, right? Give me right. something versus just a semester is so hard. There's so much to teaching to learn it in a semester. We, you know, I think our universities are getting better in that component, but right. it's definitely a, a driving force that we need to keep focusing on. Yeah. You know, and it was just like, I was so far in over my head in Houston when I first started, cause I was in like, I wouldn't call it inner city, but it was urban 90% Hispanic kids, you know, almost entirely title one. And I just was, I should have leaned cause I knew how to build relationships, but I got bogged down with content. I really should have leaned on that more, but it's, it's something I've, I've learned from in that time. And I think it really depends when you're out in your first few years teaching, it really depends what your district focuses on. Because right. when I got my first year of teaching, I accepted a job in a town I had never heard of in my entire life. And I remember going to the interview and being like, oh, this is a really great test interview. I've never done one before. And I walked into the interview. I was 15 minutes early when the secretary was like, oh, go ahead in there. And I walked in and they were like eating lunch, like they were eating Subway sandwiches. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm early. And they're like, no, nah, come on in. And I ended up taking the job there. It was ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. But the building I was in, not to say anything negative about it, I loved my time, but they had so many issues with behavior and low income that content was so low on the totem pole. And while there were a lot of veteran teachers that held it very high, that academic was, was really focused for them, our students needed so much more than that content. And, I mean, they needed so much more. And so being fortunate enough to be in a building that kind of let me do my thing. If, <laughs> I don't mean right. that to be a negative. For me, it was a huge positive. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. depending on how the district supports new teachers finding their focus, you know, that really makes yeah. a big impact on, on that. You know, and I love what you said about you were able to do your thing. Cause I think that's more what teachers need, especially now in the world we live in. Like kids can sniff out. They know when you're not doing your thing, like when you're not being who you really are. So um, it's a really interesting time to be a teacher and it's a really interesting time for, for kids. I mean, you know, and, but that's, we'll, we'll move on. Cause I could just ramble on about kids all the time, but I do want to ask you on, on your Instagram page at the bottom, it says reflect, grow, amplify. And I'm interested what those terms mean for you and, and how you apply them as a teacher. Oh gosh, that's a weighted question. No, it's kind of um, a series of, of things that I kind of put together. But um, my first year teaching, I developed a lesson design model that allowed students to take on themed internships, all focused, all focused and sponsored by local businesses. And it really created this interdisciplinary, collaborative, purposeful space for our students to learn their content. We were implementing soft skills very naturally and being able to address our students' social and emotional needs very naturally because it was within this umbrella of purpose. And I loved it. 
And so from there, um, as I continue to teach, I actually got a, um, a position with the Teach Better team, which is kind of like my alter ego. It's like my other, my other gig. And I'm the director of training and development with them. And being able to work for the Teach Better team for me is a vessel to help me get in contact with more teachers, help them teach better. Not better than their people down the hall or their colleagues, but teach better than they taught yesterday and teach better tomorrow than you taught today. And so when I was trying to put together my Instagram, it's kind of a joke. My Instagram, um, I put together this summer, I was trying to learn all about Instagram. And one of my great friends is Josie Bensko, who's Maniacs in the Middle, who's, mm-hmm. let's, needless to say, has mastered Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she's real good. Yeah. And so um, she was like, oh, you really need a profile. You need to post stories. I'm like, okay, I'm like writing all this down like a nerd, right? Being like, how do I learn Instagram? And one of the things I love is that when people have like quotes, obviously their background, people want to know if you're an educator or, you know, if you're still in the classroom, but but also they want to know what you stand for. And for me, reflect, learn, and amplify is huge because as teachers, we need to constantly be reflecting on our practice. If you stop reflecting, you stop learning. And that makes for a terrible teacher. Um, learn goes directly with that, right? You're constantly reflecting, making adaptions, growing. And then amplify was something that came from Todd Nisponi, who's the one of the authors of Kids Deserve It. We actually had a podcast with him recently. And one of my favorite quotes that I've continuously heard him say since our time meeting was that he his goal is to amplify the voices of others. And I loved that, that phrasing, amplify the voices of others. There's so much power in our world. So to be able to share each other's message is so important. So I guess, long story short, that's where those three words came from. Right. You know, and it's, it's so funny because we're, we're giving a presentation in San Antonio next month about how teachers can use podcasts as projects in their classrooms. And that's like the key point is the podcast is a way to amplify, amplify your student's voice because there's, I love that. there's so, there's so many. And, and Wilkie made this point cause we were, must've been last week. We were just kind of hashing it out back and forth. And he's like, there are a lot of times where what is in my head doesn't get down on paper, but in a verbal setting, especially in a conversation, it comes out so much more naturally. And that's, we're really, we're really excited about it. It's going to be good. So, well, and I have to say, I see that every day, not only in how I learn, <laughs> I'm somebody who loves mm-hmm. to talk things out. I'm not much of a writer. Um, but in my students, when they're explaining work to me, I mean, we work in a mastery framework that allows students to move at their own pace. And I, I mean, today I was sitting around a table cause I was being bad. I was sitting with my students and, um, they, I had three or four students around me and a lot of them were conferencing on a quiz on like a formative assessment and uh, the majority of their mistakes, they can explain out loud, but they wrote it wrong. And like to be able to give them the opportunity to, to talk out loud, there's so much you can get from allowing a kid to talk allow them to share their thoughts, you know, voice their concerns. There's so much there that teachers need to really put an emphasis on. And I think, and I think to your point too, when you let students talk, the majority of the time they know what they've messed up and they, and they know what they're doing. They don't need us to tell them again because, you know, for me, especially, you know, like there were so many times where it just came off as me nagging or getting on to them or whatever you want to say. But when they, there's something different about when, and I notice this as an adult, 
like if I work through something and I say the problem out loud myself, I'm like, Oh yeah, that is the problem. That, that is the problem. So we, we really, um, love that. But what do you, what do you, what is a mastery framework? I'm not familiar with that term. Oh gosh, I could blab about this forever. So you're going to have to cut me off. But, um, So I was doing really well in my, in my classroom. I felt really confident. Like I said earlier, I have this themed internship model. I had an entire community rallying around my students, which was creating strong stakeholders. I mean, professionally, I was feeling pretty good for a second year teacher being like, dude, I got this, right? I mean, that's a great feeling. Um, and I was hosting a Twitter chat. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dave Burgess. He's the author of mm-hmm. Kids, um, no, not Kids Deserve It, Teach Like a Pirate is what he wrote. Mm-hmm. I apologize. And um, he had this Twitter chat for Teach Like a Pirate that I was able to host, which was flattering. And I bumped into Jeff Gargas, who is um, a part of the Teach Better team. And it was the first time we had met. And he introduced me to his colleague, uh, Chad Roskowski, who's also part of the Teach Better team. And Chad is talking to me about this incredible mastery framework that he developed during his worst year of his life. He felt like he was failing as a teacher. He was debating getting out of education. And so he developed a mastery framework that allowed students to move at their own pace. And I was listening to his story and we're actually on video chat. So I'm trying to keep my face appropriate because in my mind, I'm like, dude, self-paced doesn't work. There's too many gaps. I've tried flip classroom. I've done all these things because I really like to try stuff and they've all failed because they all have little nuances that just allow students to, you know, be forgotten or left behind. And he was like, all right, Ray, try my system. It's called the grid method. Just try it. And so he convinced me, I was like, just once. And it's completely changed my life. I, I know that sounds a little dramatic, but it is the wholehearted truth. Um, the mastery framework allows the teacher to put any curriculum, any content area, any grade level into this framework that's scaffolded using depth of knowledge, web's depth of knowledge, DOK. And then the students take on that and they move throughout their own pace. So they can actually master information before moving forward. And there's a lot more to it. My favorite part is that I actually have learned how to implement this more than just design the content. Designing the content is only one piece, but to be able to expose it to students and have them grab hold and, and thrive in the system is incredible. So. Long story short, Mastery Framework is a way, uh, it's called the Grid Method, designed by Chad Orskowski, and it's changed my classroom because my students actually get to learn content at their own speed, which is cool. So, so give me an example of, you know, like, what, so explain a little bit more about, about what, when, pe- when you tell people you do this, what are <laughs> the, what are the pushback you get? you know, on why it doesn't work and maybe like, what are some examples of how it does, how you can refute those kind of arguments? Okay, Kyle, I sound crazy when people ask that I do this, seriously, because I say that my students operate within themed internships sponsored by their local businesses, all in a self-paced mastery framework. And all of those words together, everyone like just looks at you and cocks their head kind of like when you're talking to a cute dog and say, what? So you gotta like break it down, right? Themed internships, sponsored by local businesses. Okay, cool. That's how we get the purpose. That's how we create stakeholders in our community for our classrooms. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Mastery framework, self-paced, working at their own speed to master content. Okay, that's how we build really rigorous curriculum for our students. 
But a lot of people um, think it's very odd. They assume that the students are sitting in front of a computer screen and they become robots. And oh my goodness, holy moly, you should come see our classroom. It is about the wackiest organized chaos on earth. Um, today alone, like I was saying in eighth hour, I am able to actually conference with students when they need it. We I bet I conference with every kid every day, if not every other day. And I have class sizes of 30 plus. I don't know how we make it all happen. It's amazing. And then we have students that are running the show. I mean, they let me do a six minute mini lesson and then they have student work time, which is their internship time. And some students are doing activities. Some are, you know, recording podcasts. Some are doing community outreach activities. Some are taking a formative assessment or a summative assessment. And it's all happening within the four walls of my classroom. So I get a lot of strange looks. But Kyle, I won't lie to you. I encourage people to come in. All of my parents, I have 142 students. I tell them every year, every time I see them, please come in. Come see the chaos. Because once you see it, you get it. It's like magic. Do you find that kids, you know, are, are you kind of doing that just you in your school or is that something that's common like across all of your campus? So originally it started as me. I have a lot of teachers now that are dabbling with it, but absolutely the majority of teachers are not teaching this way in my classroom. Obviously when the Teach Better team and I are able to go to other districts and we implement this, Usually there's more teachers that we're working with than just one solo kiddo in the corner. But no, for right now, it's um, a lot of me only and then other teachers dabbling. Do you find, I'm wondering, because to me, it would increase your student accountability. Like, and that's Oh my gosh, yes. But the ownership is insane. My, my question though is, do they carry that ownership to their other classes? I wish I knew. That's a really good question. That I, you know, I get asked questions often. That's not one that somebody have has asked me. Um, it's challenging because the language in my classroom. I mean, that's the biggest thing that's shifted. Is that the language in my classroom is different? It's very much growth mindset. Being able to actually talk to students when they need it and get to know them. Not only be teaching content and talking at them for you know forty six minutes, but um. I hope so, I guess. I guess my answer is I hope so. So, you know, you, you mentioned growth mindset and, you know, we're big into that. I mean, it's, and it's, and, and I'm very much of the mind that it's more than just like a poster on the wall. Like I'm a, I'm a big believer oh, yeah. that that's, you know, those things you choose. So how do you, how do you work with, or, or, you know, cause you're going to have that student that struggles with, um, Gosh, anything I, in math. <laughs> well, yes, but what I'm thinking of, I have a girlfriend who is a planner. Like she is a planner, to, like to a T, and I'm the opposite of a planner. So I'm wondering, you have you have the kid who's a planner, and now they have all of this freedom. So how do you help them adjust to that, and maybe to the person that would be like me, that's just like going in 17 directions at one time, how do you kind of help them merge it and get all the kids on the path, I guess is the question. Yeah, the most common question I get is the one that is like you, the one who's totally unorganized and like, can't get it together. Usually the planners I never get questioned about, but you know, the framework helps and the triage system that's also in place to support the educator implementing it with students really helps. Um, 
To try and break it down, every student starts at level 1A of the grid. And this allows the students, I mean, everything's scaffolded. And so our whole mentality in, this, in our classroom is, if you know it, then do a problem or two and then move on. You know, no one can stop your learning but you, and it is wasting your time to relearn something you're already confident with. And so it's right. really that shift. Um, I think the biggest piece to answer your question, though, is the support systems that we have in class that support all different type of learners. So I have a lot of students that are auditory learners, visual learners. Obviously, they like, you know, manipulative you know, learners who appreciate that more. And there's a variety of opportunities that they can pick and choose about what they want. So that gives a lot of flexibility there. We also end every single day with a um, reflection and goal setting, and this is individual per student, and they do it in a way, actually, it's called Seesaw. For those of you that have not heard of Seesaw, y'all got to go check out Seesaw. It's got this really bad rep that it's an elementary tool. It's not. It's incredible. Go check it out. I really need to like, work for them because I tell people this all of the time, um, but they do a virtual goal setting and reflection where they talk about how their work session went, what they need, what their next goal is, how they're going to make it happen, when they're going to make it happen. And they go through this whole process. And then that's shared with their teacher and it's shared with their parents. And so it allows their parents to kind of see a portal of what our classroom looked like that day, which is kind of cool. Um, but for those students that are planners, that's the opportunity for them to say, okay, my work session went great. This is something I didn't fully understand. Tomorrow, this is my plan. And for a student who's really not a planner, they, they do need to have some of that, that organization skills to make, make sure they can manage their learning. And so that's a great avenue for them to kind of just spit out information. And then they rewatch it the next day and they're like, oh yeah, that's where I left off, right? <laughs> Which is really nice. So what I like about Seesaw is that there's nine different mediums to be able to do this with. So what some of them are typing, some are doing video, and some of them do like drawing, which is all fine. So I just oh, I was thinking about what you said about how the the goals go to parents. It must just you must never have the 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 cross wires between you and parents where like the kid goes home and says one thing, but it's tells the teacher, oh my god, it must be amazing. You know, I didn't realize how much doing this style of teaching, where it's that interdisciplinary learning with the self-paced model would impact my parents. I knew wholeheartedly it was going to impact me and I knew it was going to impact my students and I wasn't sure if it was going to be good or bad, but I did not think of my parents and I should have because there's been incredible benefit. Parent-teacher conferences for me was like last week and um, I had like nobody wanting to talk to me. I was kind of lonely, like to be honest. All these parents are coming in they're like, hey, Miss Stewart, yeah, we know all about your class. Keep it up. We're going to be there on November you know, 2nd when your students are hoping hosting a pop-up restaurant in your classroom. All right, thanks. You know, great to see you. Keep it up. And I'm like, nobody? Math question, please? Anything? Yeah. So it was awesome. So, you know, on that too, though, how, how much do you, I guess, let kids struggle? Because I'm sure if they're self-paced, they struggle at times. But, like, is – because I think myself and other teachers, I think we, we have a hard time – letting kids struggle we want to like get in there and, and fix the problem so how do you let kids struggle and, and kind of what point do you decide to to kind of go in there and, and redirect there's a lot of balance um that takes place obviously as a teacher you know that we use a color coding system it's through a like it's like a google sheet and it has all the students names as they progress throughout their learning they use colors to show 
what they've mastered, what they're working on, what they need, if they have a question, if they need a signature. Um, it's all through colors and that's like displayed up on our board. And so a biggest rule when it comes to needing support is that you put up a red or a yellow depending on the type of support you need. And our students are trained. When they see a red or yellow, it's their ownership to stand up and go help that person. I'm, I'm somebody who also has that role, but if I'm with somebody, I got 30 other eyes in the room that should be able to help that student. And so that struggling effect, um, while I want students to learn as much as they can, I don't know that learning on your own is always best and it's not always best right. for a lot of students. So we have a ton right. of peer to peer support collaboration, but then also, you know, I don't want them to struggle, but most of my instruction with them in terms of live and verbal when we're in our classroom has to do with me just using prompting questions. You know, I had a student today. Oh, Drew, I hope he doesn't like be so upset with me to, you know, tomorrow when I see him, but he was working on a problem talking about that there were 20 students in the room. They had eight pizzas. How much of the pizzas are they going to be able to eat? And he was switching the divisor and dividend was really what he was doing. He was, he was cutting up students and feeding them to pizza versus cutting up pizza and feeding them to students. Mm. And he was so frustrated, but we sat through and really talked through it. And that goes back to what we were talking about before is allowing students to talk. He just needed to talk it out because then in the middle of him talking it out, he was telling me about how his fifth grade teacher used to teach him not to cut up students. And I'm like, Ooh, Drew, that's exactly what you're doing right now. You're a murderer. Let's try it a different way. And so it was like a really great, <laughs> it was a really great opportunity. Oh, that's so funny. Where he was struggling, but it was like, you know, goofy struggling. We're, you know, right. using that collaboration to find a solution. Hmm, perfect. So before we let you go and get to your, speaking engagement in normal Illinois tonight. What, uh, talk a little bit about your podcast. Cause we, you know, we, we love the podcast medium. We love getting to connect with teachers, but we know that there are like three and a half million teachers and we want to make sure that they have all the resources at their disposal. So talk a little bit about your podcast and, and how you hope it impacts teachers. Absolutely. So, um, the teach better team had an idea to do a podcast for a long time. And to be honest with everything we're working on, it just was kind of put on the back burner for a while. And in, uh, in like April, Jeff Gargas and I were in a quarterly meeting and I'm like, Jeff, let's, let's just do it. I want to do a podcast so bad. Uh, obviously I'm a talker because I've been talking your ear off for mm -hmm. <laughs> however long we've been on here. And I was, it would be a really easy thing for us to throw together, not knowing that I really just had to talk and Jeff would do all the hard work, which is awesome. And, um, so we released in August of 2018, I guess, and we are just taking, um, bringing educators on and asking them a few easy questions. We just want them to tell their story. A lot of stuff out there on social media has teachers that you kind of idolize. They're doing incredible things and you don't always see the real mentality behind how they got to their right. quote unquote success. Right. Right. So we start a lot with obviously a brief intro of who they are. We talk about failures for a long time. What, when have they failed? What did that, what did that do to impact their, their pathway? Um, talk about successes, uh, you know, advice for future teachers, what we're excited about in education. We do this horrible, <laughs> it's so stressful, but to answer six questions with 15 second answers, it's like so stressful. Jeff always has his time route, which is kind of funny. And then we just conclude by celebrating educators and wanting them to to keep forth and reach out our biggest message, just like you and all, everything you're doing, Kyle is, you know, go reach out, build your network. You don't need to do right. things alone anymore. 
And if you're doing things alone, you're doing it purely out of choice, not out of ignorance. So really build that family and let's get out there and teach better, you know? Okay. So what, and what is, what is the official name of it? Cause I don't want to screw oh, it up. I didn't even say it. How horrible. See, I'm a bad sales guy. No, it's a teach better talk is our podcast. Teach, teach better, better talk. talk. Okay. And for the people that want to connect with you online, social media, how can they do that? Absolutely. So I'm fairly easy to connect with. It's my name for almost everything. So whether it be Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, I'm at Ray Hewart, R-A-E-H-U-G-H-A-R-T. And then um, we have a great Facebook private group if anyone's interested in learning more about that kind of the classroom that I've talked a lot about. Um, we have over a thousand educators in a private group called Teach Better Team. You just have to request and you can join. And um, to be honest, a great way to connect is just to keep engaging with all these topics and be a part of the discussion. So I'm a part of two Twitter chats every single week. You should come join us at a uh, hashtag Ames network on Tuesday nights and hashtag mastery chat on Thursday nights. We're always talking about some fun stuff. Jeez Louise. I thought I was busy. <laughs> oh gosh, Kyle, you are busy. I know you're busy. That's only the half of my calendar, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for, for connecting and coming on the podcast. And we're definitely like we, we were talking, we got to get you, we'll have you back on again when Wilkie's on. So you guys can talk specifics of sixth, sixth grade math. It'll be really easy for me. I'll just sit here and sit my water while the two of you chop it up about sixth grade math. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We'll do this again soon.